Jesus is preparing for the ordeal. He knows that he is going to die. And he is seeking strength in the counsel of God in fellowship with his Father. And he takes his closest friends and he goes apart away to a mountain retreat where they can be alone. And while they are there, Moses and Elijah appear. Now notice something about the mountaintop, how God reveals himself, because there is no record that Peter and James and John were introduced to Moses and Elijah. They just knew who they were. And they met with Jesus, and old Peter said, Lord, let's stay here. I like it here a lot better than back down in the real world. They couldn't stay Peter's desire was not reprimanded. He wasn't criticized for wanting to maintain that thing that he had seen and found on the mountaintop. But they had to go down from the mountain. The point I wish to make tonight is that it is entirely possible to live not on that mountaintop of experience, but to take that fellowship and that inflammatory touch that sets the world afire with Jesus down from the mountain and to let it live with you and through you every day. I'll take that a step further. There's no chance, none, and I defy contradiction from the Word of God, that the Christian who has a business-as-usual attitude and really couldn't give a rip has much of a relationship to God at all. It was not only possible, it's God's will. Now let's look at Peter, James, and John. What happened to them? They went down from the mountain and life went on as usual and then a crisis came and they came to take the life of Jesus. And that night, all of His followers ran and hid. They were frightened to death and their lives, their own welfare meant more to them than Jesus did. And here they are after the death of Jesus hiding in a garage apartment with the doors locked and the windows barred, not knowing what's going to happen. But then the next time we see them, they are walking on the streets of Jerusalem, preaching in the name of Jesus and witnessing to His power. Now what's the difference? They discovered the hard way that you cannot do anything for God. There's nothing you can do for God. Jesus says in John 5.30, I can of myself do nothing. And if He couldn't, I don't think we can. They discovered that the only way anything would be done for God was to let Jesus live through them day by day. Down from the mountain. It means as you go down from the high place that you go back to the valley. And the point of this message tonight is to try to look at some things that will allow us to come down from that peak of experience and yet maintain a vibrant and living and meaningful relationship to God through the Lord Jesus. Down from the mountain means back to a valley. I would say, first of all, as we come back down from the mountain peak of experience to the valley below, that it means we're going to have to come back to the Bible, to the Word of God. Oh, here we go again, dry and dull. Well, you bet it is. And it's never been any different. But you just remember that someone said sometime that your relationship to God will never possibly be anything like what He wants it to be unless you have a daily relationship to His Word. There's no way. 
You know, God put the Bible together over a period of 15 years, 1,500 years. It was written by 40 people. It was written in 10 different countries. It was written in three basic languages, and yet it reads as a continuous whole from one end to the other because the Almighty Spirit of God put it together the way He wanted it. As the writer of Hebrews says, uh, prophets of old wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God. It is as up-to-date as today's newspaper. For you see, you may study the Word of God and outline it and know what it says, but yet still the Spirit of God must breathe its meaning into your mind or you'll never understand the word that it says. The Bible is the Word of God, and if you would care enough to want to have the relationship to God that He wants you to have, you're going to have to live in the Word of God every day. Jesus did. There's no way around it. There are a dozen ways you can study it meaningfully. If God had wanted it written in two or three verse snatches, one from one end of the Bible and the next day from the other, He would have written it that way. And the shotgun approach of picking the Word of God up and putting your finger down and reading it is kind of ridiculous. There ought to be a systematic way of reading it. You can read, and as you read, you can come to a promise that God makes to you. And the promise is yours as a child of God, but you have to claim it. And you can underline and write a P for promise in the margin and bow your head and say, Oh God, I claim this promise. Then there will be things in the Bible as you read, and you can put a C for claim, and God makes a claim on your life. And you can say, Lord, I cannot fulfill the claim, but living in me, I ask you to. And then there will be those things you don't understand, and you can mark them with a question mark. And when you have a Bible full of question marks, just come to see the pastor, and he'll answer all your questions. Right? Yeah. <laughs> A good way to study the Bible is just read it from cover to cover. You know, God is smart enough to have put it together in a different pattern if He'd wanted it put together any different way. Or you can take one book of the Bible every month. If you would faithfully study a book a month within five and a half years, you would have broad, deep, general knowledge of the whole Bible. For in 30 days, in a month, you can learn a lot about one book of the Bible. There are a number of ways you can study it, but the important thing is that you study it. And some very piously say, oh, I just fellowship with the Lord every day. If it wasn't for the Bible, you wouldn't even know His name. There's no substitute for the Word of God. And I would point out that Psalm 119.9, as it says, How shall a young man make his way pure? By taking heed unto thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And if you would be able to withstand the onslaughts of Satan, you will have to, as Jesus did, apply the Word of God to the temptation. And you can't apply it if you don't know it. You ought to memorize Scripture. Put it in there every day. Oh, I don't need to do that. I'm a grand old Christian. Well, I don't know. I guess Jesus never thought He was good enough because every time He was tempted, He applied the Word of God to the temptation. Down from the mountain means back to the Bible. But again, down from the mountain means back to prayer. The average Christian spends maybe, just maybe, five minutes a week talking to God. And some of the tripe that we say makes me wonder if we pray at all. 
I can write an eloquent prayer and read it to you, and their chances are excellent that I might not pray a word to God. If prayer was vocabulary, things would be pretty simple, you know it? All you'd have to do is go down and uh, buy one of the prayer books, and boy, you get up in the morning and you say, Oh, God, bless Mommy, Daddy, the missionaries, and everybody else. Amen. Eighty percent of the prayers I hear prayed in public are no prayers at all. They are meaningless, empty words that are repeated with no meaning. Prayer is communication with God. Now, when you communicate to someone, how do you talk to them? You talk to them in terms that mean something, in terms that mean something to you. If you want to communicate with someone, especially someone that can do something for you, you want to communicate to them in terms of your need and the deep desires of your heart. We pray so generally and just scattergun kind of thing that if God answered our prayers, how would we know it? Lord, bless us. Well, sure He does. He's going to bless us anyway. And, ha and, and if you say, Lord, bless us, how are you going to know if your prayer is answered? Jesus said all you've got to do is ask and you'll receive, and why not ask for something that you can see when it happens? Prayer is communication with God, to talk to God freely and regularly. And it is a sign of spiritual disease when we do not want to pray. Well, I want to pray, I just don't have time. That's not true. There's not a word of truth in that. Never has been. We don't want to be with Him because we're not right with Him. And as we pray to Him and communicate with Him, it exposes us to the Holy Spirit and He convicts us of our sins. Prayer is not asking, not just saying, Lord, do this, do that. It is a oneness, a communication, a union with God. And He answers our prayers as we pray and let His Spirit speak to us and we line up our prayers with His perfect will. And He is free to ask. I wish I had faith. You know, I need more. Well, just use what you've got. God gives faith. We don't have it. God gives it to us. And He can give you all you need if you just use what you have. Commit what you have and what you are to the Lord. He never demands something you don't have. He doesn't want anything from you that you can't give Him. Just give Him what you have and let Him do the rest. If we're going to have a relationship to God after the mountain peak experience, if we're going to come down and make a difference and not go right back to the same old rut, it makes a mockery of God when we come and say, Oh God, I'm sorry, I commit my life to You. I'm rededicating. And then we go out and ten minutes later, our lives say, It's a lie. And I didn't mean it. God doesn't react very well when people make fun of Him. If we're going to come down from the mountain, back to the valley and maintain that exciting and meaningful relationship to Jesus, it means back to the Bible and back to prayer. And down from the mountain means back to the church. The Bible says many things about the relationship between Christ and the church. But those illustrations that it chooses most often are those illustrations that speak of the family. It says the church is the bride of Christ. It says the church is the body of Christ and Christ is the head. It says Christ died from, for the church. And you say, find someone 
that says, I love Jesus, and they don't love the church, and I'll find you a liar. Because there is no way to love and have the love of Jesus within us and not love the church for whom Christ died. You know, it's easy to make noise and please ourselves and run the church the way we want it and everything looks fairly good to us. But I'm wondering when God ever told us that He needed our advice in, in matters of running the church. You know, strange to me, but the New Testament says you had better obey those that God has put over you spiritually or you'll answer directly to God for it. And you know, God doesn't say what He doesn't mean. We don't need a board of directors in anybody's church. We need people who want to follow leadership. And lest we think too much of our positions, God doesn't honor people. People are to honor God. And the only reason anybody does anything in the church is because it's supposed to contribute to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in the work of the church. There's no board of directors in the New Testament. The word deacon in the New Testament is the word diakonos in the Greek. It is a very commonplace word, and it means one who waits on tables like in a restaurant. And they had deacons in the first place because the minister needed time free to serve the church through work and the Word of God and prayer. And if anybody thinks they sit on a board of directors... Let them go right ahead. They're going to answer to God. Because we need servants. We don't need bosses. We need servants. And if you would take issue, then just turn back to the book of Acts and find anything any different. The Jerusalem conference in Acts 15 where decisions were made and where we get something of a pattern for our church government was preachers. Peter, James, John, Paul, Andrew, and the rest of the disciples who were alive at that time met to discuss certain issues. And you know what happened? Peter says that we are to pay attention to those who have the rule over us. And those folks were just dumb enough to believe that if God called a man to lead a church, then God could tell him what to do without anybody's help. Isn't that strange that God could do that? Down from the mountain means back to the church. Have you ever seen children play house? You wonder where they learn what they do? They learn it by example. And woe be to the individual that plays house with the business of God Almighty. Being saved is only the first step up a flight of stairs that's never supposed to end until we meet Jesus in glory. And the church is the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers. It is at the church and in the church and through the church that we are supposed to meet the Lord Jesus and be with His people and grow together. And you can always spot spiritual disease when you see people that have their own little hobby horses and they would rather do their little job than serve God. The church is all about evangelism. It is all about worship. It is all about outreach. And anything that conflicts with that and does not contribute to bring people to Jesus has no business in the church. 
We'll never be able to compete with the social clubs. We'll never be able to compete with the schools and the YMCA and secular entertainment in general. We're not to babysit people and keep people happy. We're to reach out and bring people to Jesus. And that's all the church is, period. And if you find yourself more concerned with your little job than with the ministering, worshiping, outreach of the church. Look out. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. And it doesn't matter to me because you're not going to answer to me. You're going to answer to God. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, if anybody takes the one foundation that is laid, the Lord Jesus and builds on it wood, hay, and stubble. When the day of reckoning comes, that will be burned away and you will stand before the throne of Jesus without anything to lay at His feet. The church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Christ is the head. The church is the body. Christ died for the church. And if you're going to make a difference in your world, you're going to have a relationship to your church. That means something. There are two bodies of water on the Jordan River. There is the Dead Sea, a body that has no tributaries and no springs leaving it. And it is constantly fed and never giving out any water at all. And it stinks and nothing can live in the Dead Sea. And it is so full of salt that it will float anything you put in it. And then further to the south, there's the little blue lake, the Sea of Galilee, with her rivers and her springs, and a little sea that provides the commerce and the food for the whole area, a thing of beauty, because it not only takes, but it gives. And sometimes we act as though we have to hoard what God has done for us. Jesus is the best kept secret in the world and we would rather die than tell someone about Him. Down from the mountain, it means back to the Bible and back to the prayer, and back to prayer and back to the church. And finally, down from the mountain means back to the world. One day, when emotion subsides, one day when we wake up and look around and realize what's going on around us, we discover that nothing in the world has changed except us. They're the same people, the same humdrum routine, and life crowds in and we realize nothing's any different. At that point, how do we keep what we've got? You know, away from the world, it's easy to be a Christian. You go to camp or you go somewhere else alone and all you think about and talk about is God and you gear what you do to teach yourself about Jesus and to have experience with Him and it's great. Then you come home and nothing has changed except your life. How do you by yourself go into the world and not lose everything that God has done for you. On the mountain, these disciples saw Jesus in His glory. You know what happened when they came down, verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 17? 
As soon as they came down, a man with a son who was mentally ill came to Jesus and said, Lord, do something about my boy. On the mountain, they saw Jesus in his glory. In the valley, they saw a lunatic. How do you do it? Is there any way you come back and your life has changed and nobody seems to be sympathetic? You've committed your life to Jesus. A new direction has been taken. A turn has been made. But nobody cares. How do you do it? How does it happen? Those disciples found out after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the world, they discovered that only as Jesus lives does it make any difference in your life, in your little part of the world. I want to make a statement that I'd like for you to remember. Everything that I have tried to say is wrapped up right here. It is only as you come back to the Bible, back to prayer, and back to the church that there is any possibility that you can go back to the world and make a difference for Jesus. Don't expect to be some kind of a superhero Christian if you will not obey Him. And what are His commandments? There are only really a few, and they are basically that we maintain our relationship to Him and let Him live through us day by day. It is only as you come down from the mountain and back to the Bible and back to prayer and back to the church that you will be able to go back into the world without being suffocated and choked out by what you find there. In the spring of 1969, a friend and I were driving across Raytown over in Kansas City. We were in a hurry to get to church. And there was a man that spring Sunday morning, sunny day, mowing his lawn on a riding lawnmower. And on next to his yard there was a ditch. And he was mowing next to a hedgerow on an incline. And as we were approaching, his thing tipped over and he rolled down in the ditch and the lawnmower just sat there on its side. And he sat there dusting himself off and as he did, the lawnmower righted itself and being in gear, it ran over him and across his foot. And we being good Samaritans were going to stop and see what had happened. The other boy was driving and I jumped out of the car and ran across and as I approached, I was able to see that about half of his foot was laying severed and several inches away from his body. And right then and right there, I wanted to leave. I wanted to help somebody, but I wanted to pick him up and put in a good word for Jesus and go on my way. I didn't want to see a man who had been dismembered and called an ambulance and watch him bleed and suffer. But you know, spiritually, every day, God wants to put us into situations where there's a real need. And we want to help and we want to be good people, but we don't want to get down where the need is and do anything about it. 
But as we come down from that mountain, we've got to realize that God left us here instead of taking us to heaven so we can minister in the name of the Lord Jesus. And as we come back to the Bible and back to prayer and back to the church, we're going to be equipped to make a difference in our world. Then and only then is there any chance that we can have the peace and the life, the joy, the ministry that Jesus wants us to have. That's the only way. Down from the mountain, we have to come down. Wouldn't you rather be rightly related to Jesus and have the peace that He offers? Wouldn't you rather that than for life to go on business as usual, humdrum, routine. Nothing ever being any different than it was before. And you know the seven last words of the church. We never did it that way before. Maybe we ought to learn that if we let Jesus be the Lord, period, with no conditions, He might want to do something that we haven't thought of. The church has not been given to us to please us, believe it or not. It has been put here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a very strange kind of an organization because it has been given the express task by God Himself to go into the world and give itself away. We need to make a difference. God has us here for a reason. But only as we go back to basic Christian discipline in our lives. Can we make any difference at all? The invitation to you tonight is for you to come and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He loves you. Life apart from Jesus is merely a counterfeit. It's not the real thing because only God can make real life and give it to you. The invitation to you as a Christian is to realize that though God may speak to you and take you to a mountaintop of experience, you've got to come down from that mountain and live in the real world and be prepared to make a difference for Him. The invitation to you is to join this church however she receives members. The invitation is just simply to let Jesus be the Lord of your life to do boldly and publicly in the fellowship of love what He demands of you. I don't know your heart, but He does. I don't know what you need, but Jesus can give it to you. Now, what He would have you do in just a moment as we sing, do it now. Do it quickly. You have not been left to slide through life doing the best that we can. Jesus, thank you that after you carry us to the mountaintop and show us all of your glory and lift us up, knowing that we have to come down, Lord, you want us to have peace and joy and power. Lord Jesus, convict us tonight that it is only as we honor you, it is only as we live that we can make any difference in our lives that you want to change, you want us there, want to save here tonight. Lord Jesus, I ask you to do what you want to do to have your way. And because you've promised to do as we ask, I thank you right now for what you're going to do. And I pray in Jesus' name. We're saying him.